Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. What is the greatest weakness of man? To doubt? Unbelief? This morning, we're starting a new series. And through this series, we want to take a real honest look at the nature of doubt, of belief, and of faith. And the whole idea is that we would come to a better understanding and really recognize doubt and, and its sources through this series. But also, also my goal is that through this series that we would move to a deeper and a fuller sense of faith. And, and so through this series, we're going to take that honest look at doubt. What is doubt all about? Where does it come from? Why do we struggle sometimes? And I really hope, I really hope that you have friends that are asking those kinds of questions and maybe they're on the verge of belief or maybe they're just not sure, but they've been asking you some questions. I really hope that you will take this insert and use it to invite a friend because that's what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, taking a look at what is the nature of faith? What is the nature of doubt? And I want to kind of start the whole thing out with a couple of questions to ask you. Have you ever, have you ever questioned your faith? You ever wonder, is it really true? Does God really exist? Can the Bible be trusted? Is there really life after death or is this existence all that there really is? Why do I believe what I believe? Is it worth believing or is it really just a collection of myths folklore and superstition does god really care about my life now just by a show of hands this morning how many here have ever asked one of those types of questions (laughs) how many have felt really guilty about asking those types of questions (laughs) how many feel too guilty to even raise your hand to admit that you've made it no i don't want to go there Well, today we're going to look at the nature of doubt, belief, and faith. And there's a really good account in one of the Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, that really kind of helps us focus in on on what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. It's found in Mark chapter 9. And let me set the story up. It's an account of Jesus. He has gone off with three of his followers uh, up to a mountain and just spent some time intensely talking with them about the nature of, of what God is doing and what God's about and what his mission is all about. And they come back down off the mountain and they come to a bit of a chaos because there's a lot of controversy going on. Um, there's here's this, the, the nine of his other disciples. They're all standing around and there's a guy there and there's all kinds of debate and all kinds of confusion coming, going on. And, and he walks up to them. He says, what's going on here? So in verse 17, we pick up the story. One of the men in the crowd spoke up. He said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever that spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him the boy. But when, Jesus, when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe But help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that crowd of onlookers onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. 
Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, there's a whole lot in that passage that we're not going to get into this morning, all right? (laughs) But I do want to center in on this conversation with Jesus and this boy's father, and particularly that statement. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Can anybody relate to that question? Can anybody relate to that statement? See, it really goes to the heart of what it means to believe and what it means to have doubt. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want to start with this statement. And I think it's really, really important. And it's vital to the rest of where we go for the next month or so. And that is this. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. This is really important that we understand this. Doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. In fact, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt is something quite different. And most of our struggles with doubt comes from this misperception. We have these feelings of guilt or frustration or somehow we're betraying our faith because we have questions. And so we think the answer is, well, I just got to believe harder. You know, somehow I just got to work up or muster up or conjure up some sense of confidence or, or bravado because otherwise I don't have faith. I have a pastor friend who on occasion suffers from very severe back pain. Um, And those of you with back injuries and back pain know there's like nobody really knows why. (laughs) And there's been times when he has been hospitalized. And on one occasion he was hospitalized and one of the members of his congregation came, visited him in the hospital and says, you know what? The Lord told me you would be healed of this if you just had more faith. And he looked at the guy. He said, well, you know what? Right now, I don't think I got that kind of faith. But if you got that kind of faith, why don't you pray so I can get out of this hospital bed? (laughs) Sometimes that's what we think. Well, I just got to muster up, you know, kind of figure out how to get more faith. Or sometimes, sometimes our reaction to this is that we we, kind of try to build a protective shell around our faith. Just don't ask the questions. Don't ask the questions. Don't, don't, don't think about it too much. Just believe. You know, don't, get, you know don't, don't study too much. Don't learn too much. Just believe. Because if you, if you make any kind of a negative, negative confession, then, then, then you're expressing doubt, and then God won't give you anything. And a lot of people walk through life with that kind of feeling about their faith. It is so fragile that it must be protected. So I must never ask any questions. We are finite beings with very limited understanding. So by default, by definition, we will always live life with uncertainty. We will always live life with confusion. and We will always live life with questions. And sometimes our questioning and doubting times comes emotionally. Sometimes it comes through specific experiences that we're in. Sometimes it comes from our misperceptions of God. What we thought was true to believe really wasn't true. It was our problem. We weren't thinking correctly. Sometimes, sometimes our doubt rises from an unwillingness to really trust because we know if we really trusted, there's some things we would have to give up and we don't want to go there. At the heart of doubt, it's a divided heart. 
In fact, the word, our English word doubt comes from the very same root as the word double. D-O-U-B. It's got the same four you know, first letters in it, which means twice. And that's really, that's really at the heart, this two-ness of mind. And that's mostly reflected in, in the New Testament words that are used for doubt. And, and, I, and here's where I might lose you, okay? Because I'm going to get a little technical. And, and, you know, I don't do this very often. But after all, I did pay all that money to go to college. So I got to show it off every once in a while. Okay? So if you look at... Because our, our, our New Testament was not originally written in English. For those of you who don't know that. Okay? It was written in New Testament Greek. A very common, everyday language kind of Greek. Okay? So, but particular words are used. And each of these words kind of give us a picture of what doubt really is. One of the words that, use, that is used often for doubt is, is actually tr- could better be translated questionings. The word is dialogo. It's been so long. Dialogizomai, okay? Which is where we get our word dialogue. It's this inner dialogue. I've got two thoughts and I'm kind of arguing with myself in between. It's actually what was used when Jesus, after his resurrection, was walking down the road to Emmaus and met a couple of his followers and sat down with them and and explained and they realized who he was and he said to them why are you disturbed and troubled why such doubts and questionings arising in your hearts okay that's the word questioning I'm not really sure another word is hesitate distazo aren't you impressed it means twice thoughts literally it's it's hesitation it's the word that Jesus used with Peter. When Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and then he got partway out there and all of a sudden began to sink because he started looking all around him. Okay? It means to have a second thought. And that's what Peter did. So Jesus, when he reached out to him, he reaches out his hand, he catches him, he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? Why did you have those second thoughts? Maybe one of the most well-known of all New Testament passages is to talk about doubt is in James chapter 1. When he talks about the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Double-mindedness. It's another word for doubt. To be torn between two ideas and two thoughts. And that's really what doubt is. Doubt is to be in two minds. (laughs) It's to be caught in between and not settled on either. Oz Guinness puts it this way. He says, to believe is to be in one mind about accepting something as true. To disbelieve is to be in one mind about rejecting it. To doubt is to waver between the two. To believe and disbelieve at once and so to be in two minds. Doubt is the halfway stage to be caught between two worlds, to be suspended between the desire to affirm and the desire to negate. And that's really what doubt is all about. And that's a real clear distinction in theory. (laughs) But in experience, it's usually not so clear. And so this father comes to Jesus and says, can you help me? And Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And the boy's father exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, what he feels to be unbelief is not truly unbelief. And that's how often it feels to us. To doubt means I don't believe, but that's not the same thing. Where he really is, is he's saying, I do believe, but there's a part of me that has a hard time believing. I am caught in the middle. And that, by definition, is what doubt is all about. 
God is, doubt is not a denial of faith. Doubt is to be caught in the middle. It's kind of like, you know, to have one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat and you're right in between. Okay, you can stand there for a while, but it's not a safe place to stay. <laughs> and that's really what doubt is. Doubt is not so much where you are, it's where will you take it. That's the real question of our doubt. When we have the questions, when we have the hesitations, when we have this inner dialogue, when we're not sure, where do we take it? And that's what is really important. I don't want to be too soft on doubt, but I don't want to be too hard on it either. It's to understand I am in between and I can stay there for a while, but sooner or later, I've got to make a decision. I've got to move a direction. So how do you move your doubt to the direction of faith? How do you move doubt in the direction of belief? Well, here's how it happens. You can't make yourself believe anymore. You can't summon that up from the inside. But what you can do is you can grow your faith with understanding. Belief can grow with understanding. That's how we move doubt in the direction of faith. The father brings what little faith he has. And he doesn't have a lot. In fact, he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And what he's saying there is, I don't understand. I have a lot of questions and not a whole lot of answers. But this is my boy. And this thing that afflicted him has put him in such dangerous positions that sometimes I fear for his life. And I don't understand it. And I don't know where it comes from. And I don't know how to get rid of it. And I've tried just about everything. And I've been to all kinds of other people. If you could do something, because I've heard about you. I've heard about you. I've heard about your power to heal. I've heard that you've got tremendous power of the Holy Spirit, that you have this ability where other people don't. And if you could, Jesus, if you could, would you please? And that's what he's doing. With all of his questions, with all of his hesitation, with all of his doubt, he is at a point where he's saying, but if you can, if you can, would you do this? What he's expressing is his honesty and his humility. Jesus asked him, anything is possible for him who believes. And I don't know about you, but if I was a father, there would be a part of me that would kind of want to fake my way through that. Oh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, 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 I believe. But he is honest. He admits his need. And he takes a step towards faith. He doesn't bluff his way through. He doesn't fake it. He doesn't try to claim something he doesn't have. He doesn't try to muster up some some sense of faith and confidence that is not there. He just simply says, I believe. But you got to help me with my unbelief. I'm torn. I'm in the middle. And it's really important to say, to understand, you cannot make yourself believe by trying harder. It's impossible to do it. The way to do it is to admit your doubt and your uncertainty because that can lead you to deeper faith. Your questions can move you to deeper faith. 1 Corinthians puts it this way. Now we see, but with a poor reflection as a mirror, in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What he's saying is, I'm not there yet. As long as I live on this earth, what I see is but a poor reflection. I don't get the whole picture. None of us do. None of us do. 
We just understand a part of it. But instead of stuffing our questions, just simply admit, God, I don't understand this. But if you could, would you help me? I'm bringing what little faith I have to you. See, our questions can actually move us to seek answers if we treat doubt correctly. They can move us to deeper understanding. They can move us to asking the questions that will cause us to learn. And as a church from day one, we have made a commitment to be that kind of church. To be the kind of church that people can come honestly with their questions. Where people can come and begin to understand and to shape their belief. To know what it's about. And not be pressured to make a decision they're not ready to make. But offer opportunities for people who are ready to make that decision. That's what we're committed to as a church. It's why we exist. Because we understand this process. That it starts with questionings. But questionings move you to find answers. See, faith involves two things. It involves both the intellect and the will. There are two parts to it. It's not a denial of reason. Sometimes people, like I said before, treat their faith so, like it's so fragile that, that it's like, you know, check your brain at the door because if you think about it too much, you'll lose your faith. And that simply is not the case. But also understand, on the other hand, you will never have all the answers that you want. That's why it's called faith. <laughs> Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In other words, the choice is not between truth and faith. Faith leads us to truth. Never absolute certainty, but truth. So, with my intellect, I make a decision about what I think to be true. That is one part of faith. But there's a second part of faith, which is an act of the will. That I choose to trust. I choose to commit. Because ultimately, faith requires a commitment. Ultimately, i got to put my weight down on this. There is a point of choice. There's a point of trust. There's a point of commitment. And let me see if I can illustrate this for you the best I can. Back when I was in college, I had a friend who was a hang glider. And, and I just happened to live in a part of Daly City really close to the cliffs where a lot of the hang gliders, you know, would soar along the cliffs there along the uh, Pacific Ocean. And because I lived so close to, the, to, uh, to those cliffs where all the hang gliders hung out, he would store his kite at our house. And so um, after a while, you know, he, I'd say, you know, hey, what is this like? You know, I'd kind of like to try this out. So he would take me down, and he took me down one Saturday with his kite and showed me how to put the whole thing together you know, how to spread out the wings and check and do the pre-flight and make sure these wires are connected because you want to know this. He explained all that he could, inside and out. He explained to me how the hang glider works, how you hook in, how you operate it, how you move it, all of that stuff. He even hooked me in and had me just kind of run down the sand dunes, you know, just kind of getting a feel for holding the kite and the wind in the kite and all of that. And it all made perfect sense to me. And then we went up to the top of the cliff. I had a decision to make. <laughs> and I strapped in and I harnessed in. And it's, I don't know if you've ever seen a hang glider, if you've ever done this before, but it's, it's basically a huge kite. And then there's this like triangle piece that comes down. And that's the handbar that you, and you, you strap in your harness into the top of that. 
And so the way that you adjust a kite is you kind of move this bar in front of you one way, you know. So you kind of, you jump off the cliff and you kind of go, in, go into a little dive at first because you've got to get up speed. And once you get some airspeed, then you kind of push the thing away and it, then it kind of floats up and then you start soaring up along there, okay. So I got to the edge of the cliff and you've got to take a running start. You don't just kind of, you know, jump, you know, you got to really get into this. So, you know, I backed up, I'm all strapped in. Go take a run and lift. I jump off the cliff and I go straight into a nosedive. Yeah. And just at the last minute, I pushed the bar away and I just started to level out right at the top of a sand dune where I dug in, did a nosedive, and ended up swinging in between the bar, the triangle there. Okay? Not a great first experience. I did try it after that, though. I kept at it. But here's the deal He explained to me how the kite works made sense to me. He showed me how to operate it. He showed me all the things. I understood it as best I could at that time. I understood how it all works, how it was safe, how to jump off the cliff. I knew all of that stuff, but there was a point where I had to make a decision. And the decision was, will I take a running leap off this cliff or will I not? And ultimately, that's where faith leads us. Ultimately, there's a choice that we make. And the choice that we make is to let go of our own abilities and strengths and say, I can't do this by myself. If I'm going to fly, I need to take that leap of faith. Now, it's not a blind leap. That's where the belief part comes in. The intellect part is to know and to understand. But ultimately, there's a choice. And the longer that you are a Christ follower, the more you will be faced with those kinds of choices. Because that's the life of faith. And you will learn a little bit more, and then you're going to say, okay, now what do I do with this? Because I can just pack it into my brain and have all the information at my fingertips, or I will make a, a leap of faith. I will jump out into the arms of Christ. And I have to do that with my finances. I have to do that with my career, I have to do that with just about every aspect of my life. And that's what the life of faith is all about. It is asking the questions. It is learning as best we can the answers. And then with some of those questions still left over, taking that step, taking that leap. Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to. It is more, it is more than just an intellectual exercise. Although the intellect is important, it is more than that. I choose to step toward God. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the reason it's impossible to please God is because this is all about a relationship. And every relationship, every relationship you have takes risk, takes vulnerability, takes trust, takes commitment. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to develop a friendship. Without faith, it is impossible to get married. Without faith, it is impossible to raise a child. Because you see, relationships are built on trust and faith and commitment. And this is all about a relationship with God. How much faith? Just enough to take the next step. How much faith did that father need? Just enough to ask. We sometimes center in on the help my unbelief part, but it really is important to know the father did exclaim, I do believe. 
with hesitations, with questions left over, with very few answers, I believe enough to take that first step. Because it's not faith in faith. It is trust in a person. It is not simply belief in a series of statements. It is a commitment. And there is no other way to a deep relationship. Any relationship. And so our life is filled with questions. And hesitations. And confusion. And not a full understanding. But we choose to trust and we choose to commit with those questions left over. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It is putting my trust in the one who gave himself for me. It is understanding that left to my own doing, I will live a selfish life. I will pretty much do what I want to do. Oh, I'll try my best to be caring about other people, but deep down inside, I live for myself. And the more that I live for myself, the more I get myself into trouble. And every one of us in this room know what that means in our own life. Choices we have made. Things we have put our trust in. Activities that we've been involved in. And they have led us down a wrong path. And I must get to the point to realize I can't undo that stuff. All I can do is ask God to forgive me. The promise is that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. That there is someone I can put my full faith and trust in. There is someone that I can fully commit my life to. And I know that I can do that because he gave himself so unconditionally for me. There is a love there that no one else has ever demonstrated in this world. And he's the one that I can trust. And my beliefs and my confidence may rise and fall and ebb and flow throughout my life. But I choose to trust even when I don't understand. If you look at the disciples for the three years that Jesus was with them, they were all over the place when it came to faith. Sometimes they made incredible statements of truth and belief, and sometimes they were just off the wall. But they always chose to keep following. And that's the key. Hebrews 11 goes on and says this, that anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. I can go down that path. I can ask those questions. I can bring my fears, my apprehensions, my hesitation, and He will see me through. And that's the good news. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.